You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. All right. You know, if you play acoustic guitar, you don't have all this stuff, right? Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. The great thing about when there's only one service is you get to preach like two sermons together in one, right? Like double time, right? So, (laughs) you know how we talk about the future? I'll see what's coming if I don't move that bottle. How we talk about the future and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, especially when we talk to God about the future, reveals a lot about what we think about the world we live in. And it reveals a lot about what we think about God and God's relationship to us and our relationship to Him. Now, I don't mean like just every single thing that you say about the future. Like if you say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wash the car. You don't have to have some like pious friend come in and say, you mean Lord willing. All right. Now, of course, of course that's always true. But I'm not saying like every single thing we, have, we say about what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to take a nap later. And then you think, well, maybe. Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be presumptuous about it or something like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is this. The way we think about tomorrow, especially when we are talking to God, or especially when we're talking to one another, especially when we're talking to one another about things that we really want to do or maybe will promise to do, reveals a lot about our hearts. Have you, ever, have you ever said to yourself or to somebody else, you know what, tomorrow, next week, next Monday, next week, next month, next year, well, let's just say next week, I'm going to really make some changes. Right? Maybe it's like starting a new sort of, I don't know, exercise and eating, like sort of new regime. I'm going to turn it around. I've got this plan. I've been researching it. On Monday, this starts. Right? And you, and you sort of start it up, and you're talking it up, and you immediately become an evangelist about it, right? Even before you've started, about how this is the best thing to do. I'm going to do this. I got this all mapped out. You need to do this, obviously. And you start doing it, and then, like, you know, you kind of wake up a couple weeks later, and you're like, ah, I'm kind of tired today. I'm going to take a day off. Right? And you're like, okay, that's fine. And then maybe a couple more days go by, and You've taken several days off, and then you're, okay, I'm going to reset this, and on Monday, I'm definitely starting this up again. And then maybe you add some new things to it, or maybe jump to an even newer, better thing that you just read about, any number of things like that. Or have you ever decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get really serious about my spiritual life. On Monday, I'm going to start reading the Bible every single day. That's a great thing to do. I'm not, by the way, saying don't ever say I'm going to start reading the Bible every single day starting Monday or whatever day. 
But I think you know what I'm talking about, right? We, we, all, we all have this tendency to live in like this projected future of what we're going to do and how when we do that, or if we do that, then things are really going to change. Things are really going to turn around tomorrow. And we'll make these sort of pledges, we'll make these sort of pledges or promises. And, and here's the real thing. Have you ever promised God what you're going to do? Or maybe, maybe make a deal with God a little bit? Right? Let's, 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 say, let, let's say in regard to, say, some temptation and sin that you've really been struggling with, that you're just eaten up with, that is taking over your life, right, inside and out, even whether, whether or not anybody else knows, you know. And they're feeling the effects of it. They might not know where it's coming from. And you maybe start to deal with God about what you're going to do to beat it. And maybe, it's, maybe, maybe it starts off with something like this. God, if you'll, just, if you'll just do this, if you just sort of give me like a little break from it, then I'm going I'm to change some things. Or Lord, if you can just let this one slide. Let's just keep this one between me and you. Right? Don't let this one out, and I will never, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that again. Now, don't get me wrong. There is, there's nothing wrong with making a promise. There's nothing wrong with making a plan. There's nothing wrong with having steps or a plan of action. I'm not saying that. But how many times have you spoken to God, gone before God, with some, some burden, some anxiety, some issue, any number of things, and you just began by just telling God, here's what I need to do, here's what I'm going to do, and then that's sort of off to the races, and then you're done. And then with each other. Have you ever promised somebody about, you know what, I, I'm going to learn to control, you're right, I'm going to learn to control my anger. You know what, I promise you, starting tomorrow, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to listen more. Now, that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all saying that if somebody would say, if you would say to somebody, I'm going to learn to be more patient, they say promise, you're like, well, I'm not going to make any promises. I mean, I don't want to do, I don't want to promise anything. There's nothing wrong with promising it. But how much do we stop and think about what it means to promise somebody we're going to do something? Or what it means when we go to God and rather than wait upon Him, rather than listen, coming to Him, that we come to God with, here's what I'm going to do. Now, enable me to do it. I've got this plan. I need you to kickstart it, jumpstart it. And then, if you do, then, of course, everything's going to start turning. All the wheels will be turning. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. Wheels and sailing, I don't know. But whatever the case. I think we, I think we all do that a lot. I mean, I know, I know that I do. But what I'm really getting at is how we view the future and how we talk about the future and how we go to God about the future or to one another with our promises reveals really what we think about the reality that we live in. 
Now, you might be asking, what does any of this have to do with what you're going to preach on? Because, I mean, I haven't read the text yet. I know that. It's on purpose. But I wanted to say these things before I read the text. And our text today is in Ecclesiastes, right, where we've been for several weeks now. Chapter 5, it's just seven verses. I'm in Ezekiel. That's not going to help. Starts with an E, though. So I was pretty close. All right, there it is. If you're able, will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifices as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on the earth, so let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it because He does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow, but better, better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger, well, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we come to the hear you speak in your word today, that you will please, Lord, give us clear hearts and minds that we could set aside all the various things that we're bringing to the table today and all the various things that are in our lives and have them reshaped and reformed by the power of your word. Teach us, Lord, speak to us, and teach us how to speak to you. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So what did all those things I was saying earlier have to do with this text? Well, one of the things that I'm trying to do is kind of put these seven verses kind of in the, uh, in the context, if you will, of Ecclesiastes, because it's easy to come to these seven verses and just kind of treat them as like the standalone passage, like they, they could be anywhere in the Bible, and it's just about, well, you know, you need to tell the truth, which you do, absolutely, or it's just seven verses about how, you know, we need to be honest with each other, absolutely, we do, or it's seven verses about, about worship, right, because it's about, you know, it says when you come to the temple, ab- yeah, absolutely, it applies to all those things. But I don't think that these are just seven verses that are there to teach us those things by themselves, right? We have to, we have to kind of think about what's been going on in the book up to now that helps us understand these seven verses. And I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, right? Lyle and Zach have done a wonderful job of leading us through uh, Ecclesiastes all the way up to this point. But, you know, if you think about Ecclesiastes, one of the things that, and I heard, this, I heard this a long time ago, and 
I think I've heard um, Lyle and, and Zach have talked about this in some similar ways. One of the things the teacher does is he takes the world, right? He holds it in his hand, and he looks at it, and he turns it over, and he turns it over, and he turns it over again, and he looks at it from every single angle, right? He, takes, he, he, he experiments with it, like everything that you can imagine he has access to. I won't repeat everything you've heard. And he looks at it and finally concludes this. All questions, no answers. That's what you get. That's what you get from the world by itself. That's what you get from pursuing the pleasures of the world. That's what you get from pursuing learning just in the world. That's what you get from pursuing for pursuing uh, money or prestige or any number of things. If you're doing it all inside, locked in to the world, all you're going to get are more and more and more questions, but no answers. Because the world that we're living in, the fallen world that we're living in, can only raise questions for which it has no answers. And to find answers and to look for answers, to search for answers, in it will just be what? Like trying to catch the wind. The minute you think you have it, it's gone. The minute you think you're enjoying something, it's gone. The minute you think you've accomplished something, it's gone. And even if you do get it and accomplish everything and you have everything you want, you know what? You're going to die. And it's all gone. And then, in, you know, in chapter 3, he's got this, you know, the really, really famous, for everything there's a season. And he talks about the seasons of life. And then he has this great verse. That, Zach preached on this, I think, two, a couple of weeks ago. Verse 11 of chapter 3, he's made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts but no one can discover the work of God, the work God has done from beginning to end. And that is, God has placed in us a sense of something larger, a sense of eternity, an eternal longing, but without the knowledge of the end from the beginning. Which leads us right to the doorstep of faith, because the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, is calling us to live by faith, not by sight. Because everything that you see in the world, everything that you see in the world will just lead to nothing. If that's what you're living for. Honestly, Ecclesiastes, you know what the, sort of the analogy, not the analogy, what's the better word? Yeah, I'll just use that word again because I can't think of another one. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It's like Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's faith. It's a statement of faith, and that's where, that's where he leads us, and that's where he leaves us, and I think that's what's pouring into this, these, seven, these seven verses. So that when we read these verses, when we read Ecclesiastes, what he's doing is he's shaping a real, actual, biblical worldview where we understand the world we're living in, including how we speak about it, and how we speak about what's going to happen in our future, and how we approach the one, the only one, who holds in his hand past, present, and future all at once.
right? When this is, and he says, you know, God is in heaven and you are on the earth. And that's what's shaping and forming this text. And it has a consequence for how we speak. Because how we talk about things, how we talk about the future will reveal how much we're grasping what the teacher has to say about what life on this earth is like. And whether we're understanding that the answers, the only true ultimate answers, lie with God and not in our plans. So that we are drawn to God by faith in spite of all the evidence in the world that is racking up every day to say, are you really sure? Really? But we're, we're drawn to God. And so when he comes to this text, he begins really for the first time sort of instructing. It's not as though he's not teaching, right? But he's instructing, and he's, and he's starting now to really speak about God and how God relates to us and how we relate to God, all with that backdrop. And it's not a surprise that it begins with our speech and how we talk. Because how we talk, what we say, how we say it, reveals what's inside. And so, I, I, I entitled my, my sermon today, Speaking in the Presence of God, which is a good enough title. And there's three things that we're going to look at. One, it's better to listen than to speak. Two, be mindful of what you say. And three, always be aware that God is present. So when the text starts, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, of course, the house of God here is the temple, right? And some texts say, or some, sorry, some translations say, it's better to listen. Now, there's not a, actually, believe it or not, not a huge difference here between better to approach in obedience or approach and listen, because when it has to do with God, it's not just, hey, I'm going to listen to God. It's listening and obedience can't be sort of separate. They're meant to be put together. But the whole idea here is approaching God, it's not that we approach God with just talk. It's not that we rashly, quickly, glibly approach God and just start talking. He says it's better to approach listening. It's better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifices as fools do. So, what are these sacrifices? Well, I think it's the easiest way to kind of put it into context is to think of Isaiah. Isaiah's got a good verse for this. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, the Lord says, these people come near me, right? Sounds like Ecclesiastes, uh, with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on human rules that they've been taught, right? So what, he's, what, what, what the teacher's doing in Ecclesiastes is he's contrasting the difference between those who come to God in listening and he, to hear from God rather than those who just bring their sacrifices, bring their thing, do their thing, come and do it and think, okay, I've ticked a box and now I'm off. But he starts with, he starts with positioning our posture before God. That's where the whole thing starts. The whole thing doesn't start with, here's how you pray, or here's what you say. The whole thing starts with a posture of humility before God, as those who come to hear and receive, not those who are coming to give to God, hey, here's what I'm going to do. 
or deal or deal with God or sort of, you know, make some kind of agreement with God about what's going to happen. It all starts with drawing near to God, right? James says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is where, this is where the, the writer here, this is where the teacher in Ecclesiastes is beginning, is it begins with drawing near to God in listening obedience not drawing near to God with, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do that, I'm going to serve this, I'm going to bring all these things, I'm going to tick all the boxes. Look, nope, not at all. It is coming near and positioning yourself as someone there to hear and receive, not to give. And that's where it all begins. And then secondly, secondly, we need to be mindful of what we say because God is the one who's listening. And that's true whether we're speaking to Him directly or whether we're speaking to one another. Always. So we have to be careful about what we say that our mouths are not making pledges and promises and resolutions and determinations that quite honestly we're not able we're not able to follow through on. There's a famous line in a not very well-known movie called Top Gun. There's lots of famous lines in Top Gun by the way. And I know way too many of them. Right? I feel the need the need for you know, that was thank you. Right? I know. Some of you are like, well, shouldn't talk about Top Gun. Just, I know. I, just watch the TV version. And so, you know, there's like turn and burn. And then there's the great line where Jester, I know way too much about this, is talking to Viper. Right? And Viper says, yeah, but if you're going into battle, would you want him as your wingman? And Jester says, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm like, that's gold, right? I mean, somebody said, yeah, sign off on that. But I mean, nobody watched Top Gun, right, for, for dialogue. And so, but then there's another, <laughs> there's, an, there's another scene where Maverick, that's Tom Cruise, is standing on his ship, and he's talking to the captain, and the captain's really, really mad at him. And the captain says to him, his call sign is Stinger, by the way, says, son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. Now, the reason for all that foolishness just now about Top Gun is I'm trying to make an analogy, though it's probably not a great analogy, and that is we are often blurting out promises, making pledges, making resolutions, starting tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday, right? It's great. It's a great day to talk about it. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And then tomorrow comes, and like, well, I mean, I know I said tomorrow, but I really meant you know, this week. Not like 24-hour span. I mean, I'm not being specific about it. I just meant in the future. Right? And then, and then we make promise to each other, and somebody says, well, you promised. You're like, I know I promised, but I'm going to do it. But then we also go to God and say, Lord, I'm telling you, if you'll just, just give me this one, just give me this one break, right? Just give me this one break. Just fix this one thing. Give me this one break breather, and then I promise you I'm going to make some changes, right? Our mouths are making promises 
that we ourselves are not able to keep. And the writer is, uh, the writer is simply saying this. We need to be careful. He says, don't be hasty. Right? Sounds like tree beard. Don't be hasty. And do not be impulsive to make a speech before God because God is in heaven. As soon as he says God is in heaven, you are on earth, you know what he's done? He's just brought the entire context of everything he's been saying since chapter one to bear on this text. That's it. God is in heaven and you are on earth. That sums up everything he's been saying. It's like Jesus says, like when Jesus says, teaches how to pray, teaches his disciples how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. It's not just heaven. Well, that's God's address, right? So if you're calling God up, you got to get the area code for heaven. It's not just where God lives. It's making a distinction between who God is and who we are. And that we are addressing the one who doesn't just live in heaven, but is in heaven as his throne, as the creator and king of all things. That's who we're coming before. And so God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Dwayne Garrett, an Old Testament scholar, has a, has a really good comment about this. Dwayne says, for the teacher... The supreme act of impiety is the presumption that one can be in a position of control when dealing with God. He, that is the teacher, doesn't reject or criticize prayer, but he does contend that we have nothing to offer God and so are in no position to bargain with or impress Him. So speaking to God, coming to God before God, is not just coming there and like... Here's all the stuff I'm going to do. Let's make a deal here. I'll do my bit, and you do your bit. Then I promise. That's the hard part, right? That's the where it's really falls. That's where it really goes off the rails. Lord, just give me this, and then I promise you, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Forgetting what? Well, all kinds of things that Ecclesiastes have been saying. You're of the dust, and the dust you'll return. You do not. You don't know what tomorrow brings. God is in heaven and you are on the earth. So we come before the one who holds the future in his hands. We come before the one who knows the future better than we have ever known any present moment that we're living in. And we're telling him, here's what the future is going to be like. Here's what I'm going to do in the future. You who knows the future better than I've ever known any moment of my present life ever. I'm telling you, here's what I'm going to do. And what the, what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is doing is just simply saying this. Don't, don't do that. Because one, you don't need to. And two, you need to remember who you're speaking to. And he continues on, verse 3. And this is a kind of a... These words are going to sound... These, these, these words sound sort of weird. It's kind of a weird sounding line. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. The easiest way to think about this is to think about when he says, when he says, when a, uh, wait, I just lost my place. Dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When he's talking about dreams, he's like being a, like a, being a dreamer, right? Always dreaming about like what's going to happen. 
right? And then the labors, right? It's the labors under the sun that he's been talking about, the, con- the constant kind of cyclical over and over and over daily grind, which if you get caught up with that, right? If you start living according to like just the grind of life, and that's what's defining you, that's what's giving you your identity, that's where you're finding, you're trying to find purpose, you know what that will lead to? Constant, 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 constant resolutions and desires and promises and pledges to make changes tomorrow. Because I'm going to fix this mess by making changes in this mess tomorrow which then leads to us just saying all kinds of stuff that shows that we're not really reflecting on the fact that tomorrow is not ours. And what's more, it's not on your shoulders. Tomorrow is not on your shoulders. Tomorrow is not your responsibility to make it work, to make it happen any more than it's your responsibility or your work or anything else to make the sun come up tomorrow, it is also, it is also not your responsibility or your um, job to make everything happen tomorrow in your life. And again, this is not saying you shouldn't have plans. I mean, like, don't, go over, don't, it's not, no, don't go overboard. But what he's trying to do is saying, hey, we need to be careful about how we're speaking and what we're saying. And don't speak impulsively. And don't speak as though you're in heaven sitting right there with God and just talking to him like buddies. It's saying you're speaking to the one who is in heaven, who created all things. That's who you're talking to. It's not just sort of talking it up with a buddy about this new sort of like exercise regimen you're going to start tomorrow. It's remembering who God is. And we'll have, I'll have more to say about that in a minute. And he goes on. He goes on to say, When you make a vow, don't delay fulfilling it because he does not delight in in fools. Rather, fulfill the vow. Better that you don't even make a vow than make one and not fulfill it. So, what's a vow, right? It's pretty easy to figure out, right? It's like in in the Bible, a vow, it's like an oath, but a a vow is something that we vow or pledge to God. Right? And there's, there's, there's a bunch of examples. We don't have to go over them. Um, a great example of a good vow was Hannah. Hannah in 1 Samuel, who makes a vow with God that when she has a son, she's going to devote him to God, to God's service. There's also examples of bad vows, right? One of the worst, and I'm grateful to my friend, Jonathan Pennington, who's at East, he's preaching this sermon, this text, this sermon. I, he's preaching my sermon. No, he's preaching his own sermon on this text over at East right now. He reminded me of this one. There's a, in the book of Judges, there's a guy called Jephthah. This is, wor- this is the worst vow in the Bible, I think. He vowed that if God would give him the victory, then when he returned home, the per- first person who came out the door, he sacrificed them. Well, you know that this is not going to go well already. The minute this guy's like, hey, you let me win, and I promise, I mean, not only is it not going to go well, I mean, come on, that's, why go there? I mean, why, why was that his thing? 
Whoever, I'm a sacrifice, whoever comes out, like, all right. Well, the story ends tragically. Who's the first person that comes out his door? It's his daughter. Right? So, that is an example. That's a horrible example of a horrible promise. But the idea is that the vow binds you. That's the idea. It's not just saying, yeah, I'll do it. It is binding yourself to your word. And we need to be careful. But we're so, and I'm just, okay, when I say we, just imagine I'm saying me all the time and not accusing you of things, right? But when we, me, come to God saying, I'm going to, does it ever cross our, my, minds that we're saying to God, I promise you, I'm making like a vow to you that I'm going to change my life tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and of course, it's like, well, I mean, of course, I can't really change my life. But what the teacher is saying is, number one, think, remember who you're speaking to. And then two, you don't even need to make a vow. So why make it? You know, somebody pretty famous picked up on this idea centuries later and said, when you swear, don't swear by heaven, it is God's throne and not by earth because it's God's footstool, but rather don't even make a vow, but rather let your yes be yes and your no be no. And of course, it's Jesus who said that. But that's kind of what the teacher is driving at, is that we're, we don't even have to. We don't even have to make these promises. Because, again, remember, it is about coming to God from a position of humility and faith to receive. Draw near to listen. Not to bring God your pledges. And that's, that, so those things are flowing, those things are all flowing together. And, you know, again, he's, he's, not, he's not all down on making, he's not down on sort of promising, he's not down on plans, he's not down on making resolutions, he's not down on any of those things. He's saying, we need to be more careful about how these things just pop out of our mouth when we and everybody else around us sometimes knows, well, I mean, that's a nice thought. That would be good, but, you know, my expectations for myself, I mean, I don't really mean it. I mean, I know we, nobody has really any expectations. We're going to do it. Any number of things like that. It, but it just flies out of us constantly. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. James has something to say about making plans that kind of fits what the teacher is saying here about speech, right? Uh, in James 4, he says, today... Uh, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll do this or that, we'll go to that city, spend a year here, carry on business, make some money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that disappears, that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And again, like I said before, it's not as though every time you say, I'm going to, that you need to fill it in with, now, of course, I mean, uh, you know, Lord willing. But he's talking about how you view your life and actions and how you actually view your present 
in regard to the future. What the teacher is doing in Ecclesiastes is calling us to live in God's reality in the present where he's put us. Understanding that it's he who holds the future in his hands. It's he who already knows the future. As Jesus says in Matthew, he already knows what you need before you've even asked him. Here's a good example. I don't have to tell you, I'll pray for you. But think how easy it is. Okay, again, this, let me say, let me, let me back this up and make it personal. I think about how easy it is for me to say to everybody who's talking to me. So I have, I have hundreds of students over the course of a year. And they go through all kinds of things. And lately I've been really convicted about how often I will shoot them back an email saying, I'll pray for you. And it's dawned on me lately that sometimes I say that, it's just kind of like, because I feel like that's what you say if you're a Christian, right? Instead of just saying, I'm sorry to hear that. Hang in there. It's sort of, sometimes it's sort of like the Christian way of saying, hang in there. I'll pray for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to think about the number of times I've said to people, now some of you have texted me this week and you're like, you mean me? No, I, 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 don't, I don't know the number of times I've said to people, hey, you know what? I'll pray for you. And then I didn't. Or it was even weirder than that. It may be worse. I was like, I'll pray for you. Text, I'll pray for you. And then I'm like, Lord, I'm praying for Desmond. I, I don't even know a Desmond, by the way. I don't even know why that came to mind. Lost, I guess. I don't know. That's a really up-to-date cultural reference, by the way, <laughs> if you're wondering what I'm talking about, right? I'm super current. But I don't know how many times I've said, I'll pray for you, but you know what? It just like falls out of my mouth, like I'm chewing with my mouth open. I'd like to, I'd like to take that one back, but whatever the case, it just comes out. I'm going to pray for you. But you know what? When I tell, when I tell you I'm going to pray for you, what am, I, what, what am I saying? I'm saying to you, a brother or sister in Christ, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to speak to God. I'm going to speak to God regarding you. And it just falls out of my mouth. And if I don't do it, I'm like, well, you know, I meant to. I mean, I, I kind of was praying when I said it because I was thinking about God and I'm thinking about you and, you know, we're supposed to pray all the time, pray without ceasing, so maybe that counted. Just saying it kind of counted. But, you know, God is listening. And when we talk and promise to one another, we are talking and promising things to somebody within whom the Spirit of God dwells in whom God is present. He's not floating far off somewhere. He is present in his people. And he hears us. And when we promise people, when we promise each other things, it's not as simple as, hey, I promise I'll do that and maybe I'll get around to it. But we don't have to make that promise in the first place. But if we make it, We need to fulfill it. 
not to check a box, but because we've said to a brother or sister in Christ who's suffering or going through something, I will pray to God in heaven for you. And this is what the teacher's driving at, right? Is getting control of and a hold of what comes out of our mouth when we're speaking to one another and when we're speaking to God. And what this does is this puts all of our talk, all of our promises, all of our pledges in a different sort of setting, and that is the setting that is all lived out before the presence of God. It is speaking out of their heart in the presence of God always. Not just on Sunday morning when we're together, but always. This takes speaking the truth and being honest up to a com- sort of a completely different level. Is it's always truth before God or always a lie before God or always just, well, I intended to, but you know, it didn't really before God. But I have a tendency just to sort of chalk it up to, well, you know, I say lots of things. Now, hear me really well. I am not at all, and I hope nobody takes it this way, suggesting that you need to be like so paralyzed about everything that comes out of your mouth, that everything comes out of your mouth, you qualify it like 19 times. That's not what I mean. Remember, this whole thing started with what? Coming into the presence of God, and that's where it ends. In the last verse, in the last verse, he says, for many dreams bring utility, so do many words, therefore fear God. So he's not saying that to make you hesitant. He's not saying that to make you feel you know, afraid or almost paralyzed to speak. He, when he says fear God, he's talking about the fear, not terror, but the fear, the healthy right fear that we have of what? That we are speaking to the one who made us, to the one who holds the world in his hand, to the one who sent his only son to die for us, and that with him we should not be glib and quick and spouting off things as though we are going to manipulate the future that belongs to him by just saying, hey, if you do this, then I'll do that. It's having the correct, right understanding of God. And there's just three things as I close. Three sort of takeaways. When you go to God, don't go with promises and pledges and things of how you're going to do better. Go to God for the purpose of listening and receiving. You know what we bring to God? We bring to God our anxieties, our failures, our sin, our temptations, our messes, all of it. We bring those to Him and do what? We lay it before Him and say, can't do it. Not bring those to Him and say, you know what? You give me the right tools, I'll fix this stuff. I promise. And then God says, all right, well, as long as you promised… No. That's what we do. We don't come with all of our junk and say to God, 
Look, if you just give me the right kind of formula, I'll fix these things. No, we bring it all to God and say, what? Can't. I can't. I cannot. Not, I'm gonna, 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 gonna. And then we receive from him. We come with open hands to receive. And he accepts. He doesn't say, well, you know, you get to work a little bit, then I'll kick it in. Secondly, and I said this before, I keep it really quick. Don't let this text paralyze you with doubt and confusion about what to say to God so that every time you're praying, you're like, well, am I going to pray the right thing? I think I just let a promise slip. Or next time you promise somebody something, you're like, well, hold on, I'm not really promising. That's not the point. The whole point is to sort of bring our speech and corral our speech, if you will, into the presence of God. That's it. A God who loves you and cares for you and is not always looking around the corner and be like, I dare you to mess up. I dare you to say the wrong thing. Remember, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And that never slips his mind. And third and finally, when it comes to drawing near to God, when it comes to living in this world and this reality, remember that Jesus is God's ultimate answer to the questions, the futility, the endless cycles of this world. In other words, draw near to God not with your promises, but draw near to God with His promise to you. So, here's something that you can even do. You can draw near to God by doing this, by reading this text that I'm going to read to you and close with. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I would would encourage you to take that very passage this week, today, And draw near to God and plead with God His own promises for your future. His promise, His desire to make you into the image of Jesus. His desire that we flee from sin. His desire that we fulfill His will for us in our lives. And draw near to God, speaking in His presence. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.